This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Hello and welcome to the show. The show is called Because I Said So. It's carried exclusively on American Family Radio every Saturday, 5 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Eastern, and so on and so forth. I'm your host, John Rosemond. I am, by license, a family psychologist. I do not believe in psychology. I do not believe it is possible to be a Christian psychologist because... A biblical worldview and a psychological worldview are 180 degrees removed from one another. Anybody who believes that uh, these two worldviews can be functionally joined together into some sort of workable hybrid is kidding themselves and kidding other people. I know from an insider's perspective that psychology is a secular religion that one believes in by faith. I lost my faith in psychology a number of years ago when I gained faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and that is the only faith I need, ladies and gentlemen. I also know from an insider's perspective that psychology has caused more problems for the American child, the American family, school, marriage, uh, parent, especially mother, and for all of those reasons, America, than psychologists even know how to solve. You cannot help people resolve problems in their lives, most of which are due to spiritual malfunctions, if you do not possess a proper worldview. And psychology is simply not a proper worldview. It is a dysfunctional worldview, and it is an unhelpful worldview. And I am extremely disturbed, and I'm not the only person in America who is, but I am very disturbed that churches and Christian universities have uh, let psychology in through the back door and sometimes even in through the front door. Christians should not and I mean not, be involved with psychologists, period, end of statement, and I make no exceptions to that rule. Christian counseling, biblical counseling, that's an entirely different thing, but stay away from anyone who uses the word psychology or psychologist in their uh, title or their promotional materials. So anyway, with that rather shocking opening to the show, uh, I want to talk in this show um, uh, about the American marriage. I believe that uh, I am a member of the last generation of American children who grew up in households where we saw, and and there are exceptions to everything I say, folks, but where we saw uh, what a marriage looks like because our parents were in, and you know, I was raised in the 1950s. I was born in 1947. Uh, My memory awakened in uh, 1950, right around there when I was three years old. I was raised in the 1950s, and I came of age in the 1960s. And let me assure the listener that our parents, kids who were raised in the 1950s, and I am convinced that this had been the case for millennia, 
our parents were in more of a relationship with one another than they were in with us. They functioned more in their biblical roles of husband and wife than they did in their secondary biological roles as mother and father. And I have said it before, and I will say it again, that there is nothing, not one single thing, that puts a more solid foundation of security and well-being under a child's feet than the knowledge that his parents are in a committed relationship. It doesn't have to be a perfect relationship. In fact, it's not going to be a perfect relationship. There is no such thing. But a committed relationship. Nothing puts a more solid foundation of security and well-being under a child's feet than the knowledge that everything is going to work out. These people are permanent here. I don't have to worry that I'm going to come home from school and one of them is going to be packing their bags, etc., 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 It is my contention and has long been that ever since the psychological parenting and family revolution of the 1960s, that the American marriage has been slipping into the background of the American family as the roles of mother and father take over and come to the forefront. And I do an interesting exercise in small groups uh, that illustrates this. I ask everyone, and it's maybe 20, 25 people, to take out a piece of paper and fill in the blanks in the following sentence. In a typical week of the time I spend in my family, I spend blank percent of time in the role of husband or wife and blank percent of time in the role of father or mother. And as they're thinking, I explain that you act as husband and wife when you are focused on your mate and your marital responsibilities, and you're functioning as father or mother when you are focused on your children and your parental responsibilities. Another way of framing the question is, how much time do you spend paying attention and being of service to your spouse versus the amount of time you spend paying attention to and being of service to your kids? And then I collect the pieces of paper, do some quick math, and put the average answer on the whiteboard, to the right of the categories, husband slash wife and father slash mother. And every single time I have put a couples group through this exercise, the average percentages are husband, wife, five to 15%, father, mother, 85 to 95%. I've done this exercise in dozens of groups. I would say The number of groups I've done this in approaches 100, if not exceeding it, exceeds it. And if my research is valid across the board, then the typical American married parent is spending nine times more time in the role of parent than in the role of spouse. He or she is paying nine times more attention to his or her kids than to his or her mate. He or she is doing nine times more for his or her kids than for his or her spouse. And what this means is that two married people, when they begin having children, begin acting as if they took a vow on their wedding day to be married until children do us part. When children come along, the American marriage begins to look like the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. It fades into view for a short time, then fades out of view for a long time. If all of the problems in American parenting could be boiled down to just one problem, that's it. Children are not being raised by husbands and wives. They're being raised by mothers and fathers. They're being raised by people who are occupying gender-specific roles 
biological roles, in other words, rather than the roles God ordained in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that they occupy, where it says, and it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment, it's not listed as a commandment, but the use of the word shall, they shall become one flesh. The husband shall leave his father and mother and join to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In other words, and this is very interesting, folks, God is commanding emancipation. Listen to it again. The man will or shall leave his father and mother. That's called emancipation. Do you realize how many young people today are not emancipating, are not getting married, are not having children? And I, folks, connect this in large part to the fact that these are young people who, A, never during their growing up years really saw what a marriage looks like, and number two, were the center of attention in their family from the get-go. And folks, it is impossible to emancipate successfully at an emotional level, especially if you are the center of attention in your family. It's impossible to emancipate from the center of your family, which is why the average age of emancipation in my generation for males was between their 20th and 21st birthdays. That was in 1970 when I was 22 or 23 years old. I was married and already had a child. I was supporting my family. We were not living in either of our parents' basements. And Willie and I are still married 48 years later with two children and seven grandchildren, two children who are permanently married because, in large part, those two children saw when they were growing up what a marriage looked like between Willie and myself, which is why it's lasted. And after 48 years is better than ever because we realized early on that we needed for our sake and our children's sake to occupy the roles of husband and wife primarily. And then Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 goes on to say, after it says, the male emancipates from his parents and he joins to his wife who emancipates therefore from her parents and they become one flesh. In the American family today, the one fleshedness exists between parent and child. And folks, I got to tell you, I'm describing codependency. I'm describing a lack of boundaries between parent and child, and this is more often the case between mother and child in America than it is father and child, although many, many fathers are, in fact, enmeshed in codependent relationships with their children. Almost 100% of American mothers today are in this situation, and if you're not, I acknowledge that you're out there, but even you know the mother who is not in an emotionally codependent relationship with her children, the mother who is primarily a wife and secondarily a mother, even you know that that is the truth, what I've just said, that nearly 100% of American mothers today are in emotionally codependent relationships with their children. This is bad. It's bad for the kids, bad for the mother, guarantees that the mother is going to be emotionally exhausted most of the time, that her mothering experience 
is going to be stressful, difficult, exhausting at both a physical and emotional level. This is bad. It is bad for children to grow up thinking this is what having children does to people. It causes them to be constantly worried, constantly stressed out, constantly busy, constantly running around like chickens with their heads cut off. This is bad for children. And I'm convinced this is one primary reason why today's kids are growing up and not entering into marriages. They're just staying at home, staying at home, staying at home, on and on and on and on, and deciding not to be married. This is why, and by the way, this is more often the case with males, ironically and paradoxically today, than it is the case with females. When you see a millennial who is 30 years old living at home, it is far more often a millennial male. Folks, uh, I'll be back in a few minutes with more of this, what shall we call it, controversy. Controversial stuff, yes, I hope it's making you think and ponder what's going on in your family. Back in a few So welcome back to the show, folks. Uh, I'm John Roseman, your host. The show is called Because I Said So. Again, carried exclusively every Saturday, 5 o'clock Central and 6 o'clock Eastern. And I guess that means 4 o'clock Pacific and 3 o'clock, uh, oh no, 4 o'clock Mountain Time, excuse me, and 3 o'clock Pacific. I, I get Pacific and Mountain confused sometimes. Across the United States, exclusively on American Family Radio, my Thanks to Tim Wildman and the crew at American Family Association in Tupelo, Mississippi, the birthplace of one of my uh, rock and roll heroes, Elvis Presley. Early on, early on, uh, he he just, uh, you know, with the help of the nefarious colonel, just got way off track uh, later in his career. Still, you know, did some good things. I mean, uh, Suspicious Minds. Uh, wow. What a great, uh, great song. Burn in Love. What a great song. But I mean, the really great, great stuff. Uh, and if you don't agree, you can't come to my birthday party was uh, in the 1950s before he began wearing an army uniform. After that, with all of the uh, grade B movies that he made. I mean, he just he just went way off course. Anyway, Tupelo, Mississippi, the birthplace and the shrine of Elvis Presley. <laughs> uh, more of a shrine, really, than, uh, than Graceland. Anyway, I'm wandering off course, which is my occasional habit. I'm talking about the marriage, and I'm talking about how the in today's family, the two adults, male and female, are apt to be acting as though they took a vow on their wedding day that said, I take you to be my husband, I take you to be my wife until children do us part. Because it would seem that in the overwhelming majority of American families, once children come into the marriage and begin to populate the family and turn a couple into a family, in fact, that uh, these two people who've taken a vow to be husband and wife, they actually get divorced. And they continue to live together, but they stop being a husband and wife. 
they wander away from their commitment, their vows, and they begin to occupy almost exclusively the roles of uh, mother and father. And the the marriage, consequently, is just catch-as-catch-can from that uh, point on. Furthermore, as parents, they're on two entirely different pages now because the ex-husband, and he's living in the household, mind you, but he's the ex-husband, is on the male page, and his wife, who's now his ex-wife living in the house with him, is on the female page. And more often than not, the once a husband but now a father cedes child-rearing responsibility to the once a wife but now a mother who just happens to live in the same house with him, and he becomes her parenting aide there simply to follow her instructions, fill in for her when she needs a break, runs errands for her, and so on and so forth. She, meanwhile has become a bundle of parenting anxiety, convinced that every single parenting decision holds the possibility of potentially apocalyptic consequences. Her anxiety drives her to micromanage her kids, micromanage her husband, her ex-husband, and anyone who has any influence over her children. The dentist She stands by watching while he works on their teeth, making sure he does so with proper appreciation for their unique personality characteristics. Their pediatrician, she reads up on their illnesses and suggests treatments to him. Their teachers, she calls them and tells them how to teach to her children's individual learning styles and all that uh, balderdash. She, you know, folks, just a little, uh, a little departure. Uh, in the 1950s, no teacher taught to any single kid's individual learning style. And we, students, elementary students in the 1950s, we outperform today's kids who are being exposed to individualized instruction at every single grade level. And we came to first grade not knowing our ABCs, and at the end of first grade, we were reading at a higher level than today's kids, whose anxious, stressed-out mothers begin uh, flashcard drills with them when they're two and a half years old. Anyway, today's mom is just, I mean, she's consumed, isn't she? You are, aren't you, with mothering. And therefore, she complains frequently that her children and her responsibilities to her children many of which her grandmother did not see as part of her responsibilities at all, she complains that these responsibilities are wearing her out. And if and when her ex-husband, who still lives in the house, points out that she doesn't have to do all the things she's doing for her kids, driving them from one after-school activity to another, helping them with their homework and study for tests, hosting periodic sleepovers, scheduling uh, play dates with the right children, throwing lavish birthday parties, and so on and so so forth. She bites his head off, don't you? Telling him that he just doesn't get it, which further convinces her, by the way, that if the kids are going to turn out all right, it will be because of her efforts, her devotion, her dedication her attention to detail, and her energy. In effect, in her own mind, today's mother is, brace yourself, grab your seats, or whatever is close by, 
Today's mother, in her own mind, is a single parent. Her husband, ex-husband who lives in the home with her, is at times a convenience and at times an inconvenience. He has become, by default, a parenting doofus who cannot be trusted to make the smallest of parenting decisions properly, and eventually overwhelmed by his wife's, actually former wife who lives in the home with him, wife's emotional intensity when it comes to her children. He just accepts that it is his lot in his fathering life to take orders. Furthermore, to compensate for the loss of relationship with his former wife who lives in the home with him, he adopts the new ideal in American fatherhood. He becomes his kid's buddy. And in so doing, he becomes one of the children, which is why his former wife, who still lives in the home with him, laughingly includes him in the count when asked in front of him how many children she has. By the way, that, folks, is the most sexist, demeaning joke of all time. And it is told not by men about women. It is told by women about men. This uh, convoluted state of affairs predicts several outcomes. Number one, the children of this pairing will not be able to emancipate smoothly. They won't know how to get by without their parents and especially their mother's constant intercession in their lives. The so-called boomerang child who emancipates and then runs up debt he can't manage and then comes back home to parents who pay his bills. This is the child I'm talking about. He then tries to emancipate again and around and around and around it goes for who knows how long and maybe even ends up living in perpetuity in his parents' basement playing video games. This perpetual child is a post-1960s product of a home that is, quote, broken, end quote, but still houses both parents. The second consequence is that these two people, when and if their kids finally do leave home, won't know how to stop being parents. They will therefore call their children's college professors to discuss their children's academic status and or complain about grades said professors have dispensed. When their kids graduate from college, they will go with them to job interviews and help them make job decisions. Then they will call their children's employers and supervisors to complain about various workplace issues. The Wall Street Journal and other news outlets have reported on this sort of post-emancipation parent craziness on numerous occasions. And th these are just people who can't stop being parents. They don't know how. I mean, they, they've been on a mom and dad role for, you know, however many years, 22, 24, 26, 28. They can't stop. The mom and dad snowball has been running downhill for so long. They just don't know how to stop it. And the third tragic consequence is that these folks who may be Christians, evangelicals, folks, the evangelical community is not exempt from this. Don't think so. These folks are likely to become divorce statistics. Statistically, one of the most high-risk times for divorce is immediately after the emancipation of the last child. That is a modern phenomenon, by the way, and perfectly understandable given the disproportionate amount of time and energy that today's parents, married couples, give to raising children.
For more than 20 years, these well-meaning folks have sacrificed their marriage on the idolatrous altar of my children come first, having lost the reason why they have children in the first place. These empty nesters decide it would be much less complicated to simply go their separate ways than to try and rebuild what has been gradually falling into decay for more than two decades. Folks, we're up against the end of the show. I've enjoyed doing it once again and hope that it will be both thought-provoking and a blessing to all of you. Once again, carried on American Family Radio every Saturday, 5 o'clock Central Time. If you want to learn more about me, John Roseman, you can go to my website, johnroseman.com. That's J-O-H-N-R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D. J-O-H-N-R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D dot com. Thanks for staying with us, and I hope to uh, be with you again next Saturday. In the meantime, God bless you all, and have a blessed week.